0: Go back in time to 1932, as Converse brings you historic footage of the legendary original Celtics, with whom all
1: great professional teams are
2: compared.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Over and Back Classic NBA podcast at HarvardProcessive.com. I am Jason Mann. With me, as usual, is Rich Kreich. Rich, great to be back with you. Staying in the 90s. We have not left yet. Not yet, no. I don't want to leave. We're going to tr- stay here forever. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I can try to arrange things, Rich. I, you know, I'll have to call in some people, but maybe we can get it to work out, you know? <laughs> It'd be like in Back to the Future if Marty McFly had stayed in the 50s, you know? the, the ba- That's good era, too. Yeah, yeah the, the basketball probably would have been less interesting in the 50s, let's be honest.
2: You know? Um, It depends on your, your, your level. I mean... Many uh, many current pundits would probably prefer that. I don't <laughs> well, know why, but, you know. Yeah, I don't know if they're, I don't if they're pining for the 60s. Or, they're probably pining for the uh, 90s, though. They are. Everybody is pining for the old classic 90s. and yeah. We're going to talk a lot about them today. So. Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a good decade, but I uh, there's there's flaws as well. So. <laughs> you stop. No. Yeah. Yeah. So we are. Um, so we had um, a bunch of listeners uh, submitted some of their favorite memories. So we're going to talk about those. We had a couple of memories of our own that we want that stood out. Um, just some random things that happened in the 90s is in no way comprehensive. So um so if we if we forgot your uh, favorite thing you either didn't submit it or we just didn't
2: feel like talking about it so it's your fault <laughs> <laughs> it may be our fault but either way we gave you betty no we gave you a lot like i i, I personally sent like seven tweets being like hey give us your memories yeah. So and, and, you know, well, but, and some people did so we we, did, we got some good feedback well, really cool stuff here and yeah, yeah. This, this show isn't intended to be like this is a little bit different than a lot of stuff we do because i think this is more going to be we we did our research on this stuff but it's more supposed to be kind of like a fun yeah. Uh, let's sort of relive a bunch of topics from the nineties, as opposed to really getting comprehensive about a few things. So
1: sure, sure. So, uh, so number one is we're not; these are not ranked in any way. It's just the first thing that I have on the list, and it is from our good buddy uh, Adam Gribbley, who at Adam Gribbley, who uh, has been on our show, is a great uh, basketball historian, and he um, his choice was Reggie Miller's duels with the Knicks. And the uh, the Pacers met uh, six times between 1993 and 2000. The Pacers and the Knicks did. Each team had uh, three wins. And I, I can kind of go through um, you know, just a little bit of the situations for um, each one. But is there anything before we do that? Is there anything that like really stands out to you as far as this um, th- this rivalry goes? Do you, you kind of consider it like you know, is it one of the better? Is it you know the best rivalry of the 90s or up there or you know? Where's what, what the Yeah, I'd that? say it's
2: certainly up there. I, I don't know if it'd be the best, but it's it's pretty vivid in a lot of people's minds, which is, is interesting because the fact that it's an Indiana pacer, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people, because because the Bulls and the Knicks had a lot of really interesting ones as well. And it's kind of surprising that, when it, w- with that being said, and all that went through those, that people still bring up, you know, the, the Reggie Miller versus the Knicks. And I think there's just yeah. so many more dynamics with this one that makes it. Is because it's sort of this class war as well, which I mean, the Thirty for Thirty documentary uh, does a great job about that, where it talks, you know, about the fact that you have Spike Lee on the Knicks side and Reggie Miller, hey, you know, and him jawjacking with Spike Lee, the fact that you have Indiana being like, hey, we're this city and New York's this, you know, way. I think that adds a lot of a dynamic too, because it's very much like an us versus them. It's very much like a, a a city rivalry as well, a class system rivalry as well. You know, those are the, you know, New York is is what we consider, you know, the the high class area or whatever, even and then like you got indiana who's you know the town in the middle of the prairie you know there's just a lot of really cool stuff and really cool dynamics there and then you add in like the celebrity factor of spike lee and then you add in just really really awesome games too which i think really uh just puts it up another level over other uh you know uh, other rivalries and the fact that like you said they met so many times and that they split it too i think that's an interesting dynamic too that there wasn't really you know when it's all said and done i don't know if anybody really got the advantage and that's kind of a cool thing it's like i, I don't know
1: yeah i mean it in difference between like the knicks and the bulls is the bulls won every time well they didn't win in 94 but but i mean you know every time jordan was there the um the bulls won and it you know was less of rivalry it didn't go back and forth as much where even though the knicks obviously were a tough test for the bulls on several occasions uh pacers were in uh summer as well um yeah and and the knicks and the heat i guess the knicks kind of were the rivalry central in the um in the 90s i mean they're You know, there wasn't like a really like stout like I mean, there were some great Western Conference series, but there weren't like two teams that were kind of battling out like every year just kind of, you know, it was sort of a random assortment of. You like, know, the Sonics and the Rockets didn't, like, hate each other. Or yeah. You know, they're like,
2: oh, I'm shut them uh, this year. I I'm mean. sure they did, but, I mean,
1: they didn't, like, yeah, didn't capture the imagination in the same I'm sure way. sure Gary Payton hated them. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, the Jazz and Rockets here and there, and, um, you know, kind of a combination of the Jazz, the Spurs, the Rockets, um, the Suns, uh, the Blazers, you know, all those teams kind of, you know, had
2: various success during the 90s, as we've but talked this, about before. This is almost a formality that no matter what, come playoff time, like, somehow, some way, the Pacers and the Knicks would fight each other, and it'd be an awesome series and awesome some games, right? Like you just knew that was going to happen. Like it's so many times, you know, in seven years having six times. It's insane. Yeah. Eight years, but
1: yeah, it, it, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, eight, yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's pretty, that, that's pretty impressive. So, uh, in 93, it, it was a 60-win Knicks team. I believe they were the number one seed that year. They beat a 40 win one-win Pacers team in the first round. Uh, fairly uh, easy series for them. It was three games to one. The memorable uh, thing of note here is John Starks headbutting Reggie Miller in uh, game three and uh, being ejected from the game. So this was a, kind of the first um, of Reggie Miller getting under the uh, Knicks' uh, skin. Um Example, uh, 94,
2: a 57. Innocent, though. Reggie never did it on purpose or never did anything. Oh, so sure. It's pretty, yeah. It's pretty amazing how he was able to uh, piss so many people off without ever doing anything. It's, no, it's crazy. It,
1: he wasn't trying, yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, the, uh, in 94. Although it didn't take much to get Starks
2: going, so I guess. No, that...
1: it's true. He was not known necessarily for, you know, being cool under pressure. Yeah. Um, 94, the 57-win Knicks beat a 47-win Pacers team in the Eastern Conference Finals, um, four games, three, so very close. Uh, Reggie uh, scored 25 fourth-quarter points in Game 5 in New York, all the while, like, jawing back and forth with uh, Spike Lee, who kind of became a big uh, villain for the Pacers, a little bit for the Knicks, too, because everyone was sort of mad at him for egging <laughs> Reggie <laughs> on. And, yeah. And, um... The Knicks, though, ended up winning the uh, final two games, one in Indiana and the the final one in in New York. Uh, Patrick Ewing um, finished Game 7 with 24 points, 22 rebounds, 7 assists, and 5 blocks, one of the great games of his career, culminated by a put-back dunk. They, of course, took the Rockets to uh, 7 games in the uh, finals that year, lost that series, though, the closest they came to a championship um 95 uh, 52 win Pacers team beat a 55 win Knicks team in the second round four games of three so a little bit of an upset there uh th- this was the famous uh, game one where uh, Miller hit uh, eight points in um 18 seconds at the end of the game to turn what would have obviously been a loss into a win one of the great moments of his career um also well known for um Ewing missing a, a layup in uh, game seven of uh Of this uh, thing. I think we talked about this game in in some depth in in our um, game seven of the Eastern or the uh, conference finals uh, podcast uh, last uh, last year. So check that out if you want to uh, know uh, more about that. But uh, at the end of here, at the end of this uh, game or or soon after it, uh, Pat Riley quit the Knicks to uh, go to Miami, which, of course, fueled the uh, rivalry for uh, those teams playing in the playoffs in the next few years. And then ninety-eight, a fifty-eight win Pacers team beat a forty-three win Knicks team in the second round, uh, four games to one. Ewing was uh, was injured in this series, so a fairly easy um, for the Pacers there. I-, I believe they took the Bulls to seven in the. Um, in the uh, in Eastern Conference Finals, yeah. there the Bulls uh, obviously uh, pulled it out. And then in 1999, a 27-wins team, the eighth seed, uh, they upset a 33-win Pacers team in the Eastern Conference Finals. This is the uh, lockout year, so the records are in 50 games, not in 82. Uh, Patrick Ewing gets hurt in uh, Game 2 of this uh, series and is injured for the finals as well, even though they make a pretty good run. Um, this is famous for Larry Johnson getting the, uh, four point play in a game three with the Knicks down, uh, 91 to, um. 88 I, I just remember the um the, the crowd going uh extremely wild for uh, that moment it's like one of the great like er, you know just everyone rising in unison and being just incredibly loud as he hits that miracle shot and then gets the free throw as well uh Kevin uh, McElroy um reminded us he's at knickerbacker doesn't really get more 90s than a clip with uh LJ the uh the Davises bad officiating and ill-fated New York Knicks playoff success so and the uh, the Knicks won this series in um Six games in the final game, uh, Alan Houston scored uh, 32 points and Reggie Miller shot three of 18 for eight points in uh, so in, in that game. So not a good uh, look for Reggie, but next year they'd make it up for it. Uh, a 56 in the year 2000. We're going to go ahead and include this, even though it is in the 2000 technically um 56 uh wins for the Pacers they beat a 50 win Knicks team in the Eastern Conference Finals against I think that's four Eastern or th- is it three or four I think it's th- it's three Eastern Conference Finals mm-hmm. that they ended up being in um and Reggie scored uh, 17 points in the uh, fourth to lead the uh Pacers to their first and so far only finals in the NBA and it was also Patrick Ewing's final game as a Knick he was traded to the uh Sonics uh that, that fall I believe so yep there you go
2: Anything that's else? It? Yeah, that's that's they're 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 famed. Yeah, the thirty for thirty does a great job of sort of encapsulating all those games and and all the just the everything that went into those Miller Knicks and and just so much stuff. And I I think it is one one of the classic rivalries of all time. And I I think easily the, the the rivalry of the 90s more than any other little stuff here and there because there, there were other things you know nick's bulls as mentioned before you know even the tail end of the bulls pistons things but this one just endured for so long it just had so many ups and downs and roller coasters and exciting games and yeah it's obviously the one and just the fact that like we said at the top like that they're split that way is so awesome too that each of them have three wins and it's like nobody ever got the advantage and on a year-by-year basis it always seemed to flip and change and that's pretty cool
1: yeah, I haven't um, checked, but I would imagine in the expansion, you know, you know, since expansion really took hold in the 70s, there's probably not an instance of two teams playing, you know, th- this many series against each, playoff series against each other in, you know, this few years. That, that'd be an interesting thing to look up. If anyone happens to uh, know, that, know that off the top of the head, they can... Um, uh, tweet us at Overback NBA to uh,
2: let us know, but yeah, because we'll get little ones here and there that'll happen for you know back to back years or whatever. But that's really, I mean, you really don't get this many amount or th- this volume anymore. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So um, obviously, with more teams, there's fewer chances of that yeah. for happening as well. So um, here, you know, I'm going to bring something up while we're at it. So have you ever, you know, they've talked about the idea of um, of seeding like um, you know one through sixteen, so so, so not seeding by conference, but seeding just purely by record. Do you would you have any qualms about the that aspect of sort of getting rid of the not that we have like the deep playoff rivals like we used to generally, but of getting rid of like the opportunity for you know kind of regional rivalries to take hold in the
2: playoffs? Or do you think that's not really a big of a deal? Yeah, I don't think it's. I, I kind of like, like that's an interesting question. Yeah, I I, I sort of like the the difference in conferences. I mean, I it'd probably be for fair purposes. It'd probably be pretty cool to sort of do that, but. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of don't really mind the playoff structure as it is right now. I That's that's one of the the few things I really have. I mean, I, I get if you want to maybe eliminate, you know, the divisions and that sort of stuff, and they're always sort of doing the different wrinkles there, who gets home court, who gets the seeds, all that sort of stuff. I think so, but I've never really, I, I don't know, I've never really thought that, we should destroy the, the 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 conferences as they are and just sort of have them all into one. I, I don't know. I've never really felt strong about that. I kind of like the playoffs the way they are. I, I I don't know. I've never really had any qualms about it.
1: Yeah. Um. I I, yeah, I can go either way. I mean, I think it's a little fair to have. The, I I kind of like the idea of having the better teams in the playoffs. Like you know. Um. And and the West has generally been stronger than the East for the past fifteen years or so. So, although you know, it's pretty even this year. Um. So I I I don't know. I mean, as far as that specific aspect of it, I, I guess there hasn't really been like. I can't think of a playoff series that kind of captured the imagination like this to, to a degree where they just, these teams were battling each year over and over again with, you know, with some pretty memorable moments there. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, just this, with this frequency, I guess. So I, I don't see that the, you know, the regional rivalry, not that these were particularly that close to each other, but um it. you know, it's not like Boston, you know, Philly in the 80s. I man we just haven't seen anything with that with that level of intensity for that length of time. So I, I guess, you know, we're kind of, it's something that really doesn't exist anymore so it's not something we're necessarily going to lose if they decide to you know equal it up based on conference so i i don't yeah, I,
2: I see what you mean yeah, yeah. I, it, the, the ramifications wouldn't be that big of a deal like, no one's going to really care that much but yeah, yeah I, I, I could go either way if they yeah. say if they decide to do it tomorrow i would say yeah that's cool whatever if they said we're never going to do it i whatever you know what it, i mean Like, it, I, it's kind of fine either way i, I yeah. agree yeah uh hot takes from us so um
1: <laughs> it's, fine <either> <laughs> it's fine either way it's fine yeah. either way eh, whatever <laughs> yeah uh, so i just uh, like basketball yeah yeah so uh so next we have uh, uh f- it's f- from um positive residual at uh p residual on um on twitter great account by the way yes great incredible account incredible work yes um talked about um anthony mason who was six 250 pounds uh dunking on Manute Bull, who was seven seven uh,
2: 200 who later uh, decided to
1: pounds. uh to take a swing at him
2: uh
0: yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah like,
2: um. Would you do this if you were say Jason? You were seven seven two hundred pounds, and Anthony Mason dunks on you. Do you swing at him afterwards? Um, you know, in, I don't. I don't think I ever swing on Anthony Mason.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sort of a pacifist, so I probably wouldn't uh, swing at anybody. But you know, okay. if, if I if I were no i mean i guess manu bull has has the reach advantage that's you know. that there
2: is true yeah I, I i'm scared that like mason will like stab me or something you know well, what i mean like that yeah dude, a, uh, yeah he's stronger and and just seems like he could get more mad than, than, than manu bull i don't know yeah but manu was very obviously very mad here um yeah it's he, interesting it's a, it's a great dunk um I don't know. I don't know what led him to like because a lot of people dunked on Paul. I don't know what this particular instance. Why he was
1: Apparently, like, he felt he had been. I mean, there was probably more to it than just the dunk. But oh, I'm sure. But yeah. Um, so yeah, it was in January 1993. Um and then and then Manute was uh, fined uh, thirty five hundred dollars. Um, and um, and then there's a there's a great quote from um, Eddie Lee Wilkins, who was a um, who was a Sixers reserve, um, he was dressing in an adjacent stall and chuckled upon hearing um, Bull's defiant words. First time I met Newt in 1984, he said, I killed a lion. I'll kill you if you mess with me. So, Bull killed true. a lion. That's yeah, true,
2: Anthony Mason has probably not killed a lion. Prob- probably not. Pro-
1: has, so... Yeah, so... So there you go. And I, apparently there was there was a weapon involved in killing the lion, so he didn't kill his bare hands. <laughs> I but hope so, yeah, yeah <laughs> I would. Yes, I I would. Uh, I mean,
2: I don't know. I, I not, maybe not hope so, but I I, I, yeah, I, I
1: believe. Yeah, I, I believe that was um, specifically mentioned in the um in the okay, account good. of killing the lion. So I you know will go ahead and defer to um. To minute there, but, (laughs) but yeah, another great minute Bowl memory for me is the, uh, the, the six, three pointers he made in a half, um, (laughs) against the sun. So against former teammate, Charles Barkley, um, that is one of my favorite moments. I mean, yeah, he makes like six out of 10 in, uh, in the half or, um, either 6 of 10 or 6 or 11. It's a very good percentage, and, yeah, he, it's just so surreal just to see him just sort of, like, I mean, it's kind of surreal to watch Manute Bull play. Anyway, I mean, he was one of my, sort of my, my. I always, you know, loved the tall guys. I loved Kareem. I liked Mark Eaton. You know, I always was sort of, like, into the tall guys, and just, you know, obviously Manute was so skinny, so tall, had such long arms, and was just, um, I mean, and he was effective for what he did. I mean, he obviously yeah, was very, very limited. Um, I mean, like he, I think he averaged what one season. I think he averaged like two points a game. But you know he provided you know block shots and some ring ring protection. And um, you know what wasn't necess, You know wasn't going to bring
2: you a whole lot of success. But you know he he certainly did his best, and he had a he had a fine career. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I like the idea as well. I mean, obviously we're both wrestling fans, so it helps that you know I don't want to say like a freak show or whatever, but it's yeah. sort of this guy. Well, he's like an over the top personality and character he just looks different than what you're you know a lot of NBA guys kind of just look the same but this is this guy and you see him on the court and your eyes are just immediately drawn to oh my god look at like look at and and especially like like even mark eaton you mentioned he's a guy that when i've seen him before i remember the first time I, i saw him in like some nba highlight video i was like and this is pre-internet or whatever. I didn't know who that guy was. I'm like, oh, and I had to find out who that guy was. I was like, this that guy's huge. Like, I think there was, it was some highlight, and somebody went up for a layup, and he just like grabbed the ball out of the air and didn't jump, didn't move, didn't do anything. He just took the ball from the guy's hands, and I was like, oh my god, like, yeah. that's incredible. But um, I think my favorite minute bull thing is you mentioned you mentioned the threes. I love his career trajectory as as far as it went with three point attempts, where. His first three years in the league, one three-point times. I can kind of assume that those are half-court shots, end of the quarters, whatever, maybe end of the game, who cares. Season four, he decides to take 91 of them. Shoots 22%. That's not that bad, you know? Yeah, and he's playing with the Warriors that year, so. Right, yeah, he's a, he's a Golden State Warrior mean, with, with Don Nelson, so Don right, Nelson. You know, Don yeah. Nelson was like, oh, baby, this is going to yeah. revolutionize the league. Yeah. Like, let's go. And, it, yeah, I mean, 22% is really <laughs> not that bad for Manu Bull. Like, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, the next year he, he calms down a little bit. Forty-eight. Then he goes to fourteen. Then he goes to nine. And then he gets back to thirty-two. But he's ten of thirty-two. Thirty-one point three percent. That Yeah. That's. Um, I mean, that's all. I mean, career high, high. But uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, twenty-two percent isn't
2: bad for Manute Bowl, Like his first year, like taking threes. Like that. That's really the, the thing. The thing I always find interesting
1: about him is that he played for. Um, other than eight games for the Heat, he played for every team. Um, he had two stints with every team. He played with the Bullets, then the Warriors, then the Sixers, then then the Heat in the middle, and then back to the Bullets for two games, the Sixers for four games, and the Warriors for five games. So he had a, he had a, a str- I mean he he played um, I guess he played fourteen games with three teams in the 1994 season. So and then his final year was yeah was five games. So yeah he only played um he played slightly more eleven thousand minutes. So. Um, really his only like you know starter like two you know two thousand minute season was his rookie year um but yeah i mean he was definitely uh just a you know amazing guy to watch um you know just just a just yeah i mean just sort of baffling on the court like oh my god there's just really tall guy who can block everything and you know can do some interesting things like I have no idea whether he's actually any good or not but it's just uh, such a fascinating yeah. guy to watch so and, and apparently you know a a guy a lot of people liked unfortunately he and both he and Anthony Mason have have passed away um but you know a guy who is really um you know pretty well regarded as a person and um you know is missed by the NBA community so um, so next, um, uh, we have some magic Johnson memories. Of course, you know, magic mostly associated with the 80s, but he did some things in the uh, 90s as well. Um, I, I think most famously was his uh, he was forced to retire at uh, uh, in early, early me, late 1991 um, because of uh, HIV diagnosis. But he was voted into the All Star game, and he agreed to um, play in the All Star game. Although I, interesting in um, Jack McCallum's recent Dream Team book, um, called Dream Team, he said, said that Magic would not refuse to play in the game unless he unless he started. Like there was kind of like a to do about um, that, which I, I thought was really was interesting. That you know mm-hmm. um, you don't necessarily mean. Even though you know Magic had an ego and he demonstrated it in certain things, like, it's just, um, I don't know, you just have that image of Magic Johnson being just kind of a guy who's easygoing. But he, in in fact, there's several instances in that book that demonstrate he was not so so easygoing, which I guess, you know, also fueled his... um, his success in his career
2: yeah exactly
1: um but in that game he had 25 points five rebounds nine assists including a three-pointer to end the game uh, i was a, a huge one for the west and he was named mvp of the game um you know, just really exciting moment for him and to sort of demonstrate um you know um you, you know, for people who had hiv just this, sort of this in in really the whole world this inspiring story and um and even i've been led to he you know decided that he would i think he'd already made that decision but he decided to stay on the dream team and um and played you know with um played with usa in the dream team and of course the great success there and he was going to make a comeback um in the next season and unfortunately that was cut short when um he started to have um uh both reactions from players in the league and and reactions from fans that were very negative and you know kind of soured his um interest in um and returning the game, which is really sad because I think he really could have, you know, had another, you know, four or five strong years of his career still playing and still being great and um you know, even adding more to his legacy and you know as I thought about before, like, I don't think it's crazy to to think that, that you know, the uh, Lakers would have been a threat to the Bulls, even, you know, they could have reconstituted themselves and been a threat to, um, yeah you know, the Bulls through the mid
2: 90s. I mean, you know, he, he did have a mini comeback again in 1996. It wasn't bad either. That's the yeah. funny thing about that comeback is, like, you get a guy who's 36, he hasn't played, you know, four or five years. And, you yeah, know, Perth is out of shape, but yeah, but he, yeah, still, oh, he was definitely fat. I mean, yeah, was, right. Like, but clearly, he could still play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he still scored 17 a game and, you know, shot, I think 40. Uh, yeah, I'm looking it up here. Yeah, he was 46 uh percent from the field which is not bad i mean that his career i mean was obviously higher you know 52 was his career average but 46 percent from the field from a 36 year old who's you know hasn't played in yeah. in four or five he years right
1: yeah i mean he was still yeah he was still, and that team was fairly good like they were not you know he was they were making a playoff run i mean he you know um yeah i mean he was contributing there's no it wasn't just him just sort of you know being around and then being terrible like he was making a difference and made them you know a fairly good team so yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, yeah. The other the other two things are um, you've read the Dream Team book, right? Mm-hmm. You, you remember the um, where the the famous account of the scrimmage between Magic's team and Jordan's team, and just the the issues that Magic had having a really hard time dealing with, acknowledging that Jordan had. That basically had passed him and Bird by, you know, Bird at that point was pretty accepting. Of course, you know, Bird was a few years older. He dealt with the back injury for a long time where Magic had, you know, was still, I mean, I think he won the MVP in 90 and was still, um, you know, near the top of his powers. He's 30-31 at this
2: point. They just made finals, yeah. Yeah, he still arguably has, you know, four or five years of, of peak. I mean, yeah, in terms of the- and
1: he's a top three player in the league at that point. I mean, you know, he, it was just taken from him so quickly. And, um, you know, I mean, yeah, Jordan had passed him by, but I, I just, I think I can understand where it would have been harder for Magic to accept than, than it was for. Um, for bird um i I feel like magic's kind of presented as stubborn but i mean you know he was going through a lot it's understandable that he would have a a difficult time with that and then yeah the famous scrimmage between the two teams um where magic's team took the early lead and magic was very cocky and then jordan came back and uh you kind of, kind of smashed him, but it, it was interesting to talk, you know, listen to, I mean, everyone got along fairly well, but there definitely were ego issues um, here and there. And, and and Jordan, to an extent, was willing to kind of um, take a little bit of a backseat to Magic and Bird just because of what they had sort of meant to the league. Right. So, oh, and then um, Sean Fury gave us the uh, bonus memory of um, in the uh, the 91 uh, Portland Conference Finals series of, or maybe it might have been... Um, the semifinals but either way um magic throwing the um over the head pass at the end of the game to basically go across the court um to kill clock against uh portland and then it ended up with the uh, the 0.1 seconds left on the clock and portland could do nothing to uh, win the game it's basically the last hurrah for the short uh, short lakers so yeah that's a
2: fun one um uh anything else on magic No, that's about it. I mean, of course, you know, if we were doing the show about the 80s, there'd be far more, but there's just so limited amounts of of, of Magic Johnson time that we unfortunately have to talk about kind of the weird stuff, you know, the all-star game, the weird comeback, you know, coach magic, the magic show Uh, we can talk about, the uh, very, very good uh, talk show that Magic Johnson hosts. Maybe we shouldn't talk about that. We should do a whole show on that is what I think we should do. We should do – you and I should find – there's got to be a DVD somewhere that has – or a, a Blu-ray because, I mean, there's so many episodes, obviously, Yeah. Uh, that has every episode on there, and then we can just break them down and, uh, only as we can. So uh, are, um, you, are you volunteering? I hear uh, I hear some – I'm writing it down right now. Okay, good. Perfect. Yeah, yeah put that yeah. in our, our planning doc. So okay. uh, yeah. When uh, we've really literally run out of every idea, we can do that. One, okay, so. well, uh, we'll see how that goes. But <laughs> basketball has stopped producing history, yes. we, will, we will move on to that. So, so I can't wait.
1: One of the uh, one of the transcendent stars of the '90s, of course, is Shaquille O'Neal. Um, we had several requests for um, for, uh, for for Shaq um, from Oliver Diamond, uh, Todd Rines, both on our Facebook page, and uh, and, and Tim at uh, Chuck Shots also uh, contributing. So, um, you know, what uh, what stands out about Shaq to you in um, in the 1990s?
2: I mean, my thing for him is how easily the league sort of came to him, and and that's a guy who obviously you looked at his body and you looked at what he did in college, and you're like, this guy, he's ready to go. I mean, he's got everything you need or whatever, but it's so rare that a rookie just sort of steps in and there was really not much learning curve with the guy. I mean, there were some little things here and there. But for the most part, he stepped in and was just dominant from the beginning. I mean, 23.4 points per game, 13.9 rebounds per game, 3.5 blocks per game. I think that's an interesting thing, too, because people don't necessarily fairly or unfairly think of him as a, a really great defender. But, I mean, when he first came in the league, I mean, he was you know <laughs> blocking the hell out of stuff. Sure. And D and guys up and doing really well. I'm – um of course, won the Rookie of the Year with those numbers. Uh, and then his uh, 3.7 box plus minus, uh, 16th all-time uh, for a rookie season. So he just had a tremendous, tremendous start to his career. Uh, the Magic themselves, they improved by 20 wins They you know t- to 40, uh, 41 and 41. I mean, that's that, that right there, too. Of Like, you, you talk about an impact player and like a guy. Like, we see guys even today. Like, you look at, like, the Minnesota Timberwolves or whatever. Carl Anthony Towns, I think, is a great talent. Andrew Wiggins, I think, is a great talent. But their team is still, you know, there's still some pieces need to be there. Shaq steps in. And, and, yeah, there was some stuff around him, and there was a lot of good stuff. But you look at a guy who was just such a transcendently great player that his presence alone was enough to improve them to to nearly 500, which is an incredible uh, yeah. achievement. And he really never – I mean, it wasn't – I think the longevity, too, and, of course, this sort of breaks out of the 90s as well, but the longevity of Shaq, too, is something that's just – I don't know if enough people give it credit that – I mean, we talk about those Miami years when he was with Wade. Of course, he wasn't at his full power. The guy was still really good. It wasn't really until kind of the Phoenix and, and the Cleveland years that we started to see the, the, the fadeaway. But from pretty much the entirety of the 90s from when he joined the league until the end. I mean, he was a completely dominant player, and just just absolutely anytime he was on the floor for your team – that team had a better chance of winning the you know the NBA championship every single year out if he is on your roster and he's on your team.
1: Yeah. The uh, Magic actually lost a um, – they were tied for um, – with the Pacers for the eighth seed, so they lost tiebreaker. And if they had made the playoffs, they would not have gotten Penny Hardaway.
2: That's – it Because uh, they won the lottery. Yeah.
1: I mean – he agrees. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's all
1: aboard, That <laughs> That was back when – yeah, I think – odds were either equal for all the teams or they were weighed heavy. They, they were weighed less heavy for the worst teams than they are now. So that, 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 Led to changing. You, you see those some goals. models
2: where you're kind of wondering like, how did, how does that team get that pick <laughs> or whatever? And then yeah, yeah, that that it was the lottery was a way way more wild yeah. than. I mean, a lot of times it was a stupid trade, but uh, but in
1: this case, yes, it was. <laughs> um You know, uh, it was. I
2: lo- I, that's why, one of my other favorite things about the '90s: is people that don't like we sort of take it for granted now that people so much value like draft picks, but then they're like, ah, whatever, take it. We just want this. We want this like 32 year old guy that shoots some threes yeah. and maybe can help us next year or whatever. Yeah. It's like, all right, well, that was a transcendent player that you just like, oh, but that's fine. Like, yeah by the 90s it was a
1: little bit better but you, but also they didn't they it was around this time where they first had rookie scale co- contracts right right so you didn't necessarily say you, you know you weren't necessarily getting a rookie for cheap for for that long or even at all necessarily um you know as the 80s and 90s progressed eventually like the kind of the modern rookie scale i think came out of the 99 lockout but um Uh, So, you know, so it wasn't necessarily, I mean, it it was obviously good to get a, um, it it was good to get a rookie, but, you know, someone who's really good, but yeah, I mean, they could be really expensive right away, so it wasn't, didn't have
2: the benefit that it has now, where they're, you know, the costs are controlled, so. Uh, Other Shaq things as well, I mean, right off the top of my head, of, of course physically, just what he was able to do on the court and how fast he was, like that's something that I don't think unless you really watch highlights or unless you live through it, you can't really fathom. Because in his Laker years, obviously he was super dominant, but that was just kind of like big man Shaq just shoving guys out of the way and dunking. I mean, you couldn't guard it. Nobody could guard it but i'm mean, like early shack it just can run the floor like oh yeah like so fast and he was just so super athletic and so strong i mean the guy ripped apart i mean the, the baskets as we know them had to change because of this guy like you know what i mean like he was breaking the entire like like they the the, the structure of the game had to change because he just <laughs> the baskets couldn't contain him that i mean that that alone is just amazing that's that's it's so cool but yeah i mean like i i really think if you if you either didn't live through the era or you're kind of forgetting it Watch, like, rookie year, his first, you know, his Orlando years, Shaq, and just watch him running the floor and just how insane that is when you look at how strong and how tall that guy was and what he was able to do. I mean, he's just so good at running the floor.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was really, I, I don't think, I mean,
2: he was certainly better later, but I don't know if he was ever more fun to watch than he was no, with, that, with, that with was, the Magic. Yeah, like yeah. The, the Lakers years, while well, I enjoyed it to an extent, it wasn't very, it, it wasn't fun. I think that, that's the best way to say it. It was very good, and it was, yeah. you sort of appreciated how dominant he was and appreciated how good he was. But there was nothing fun about a lot of his Lakers dominance. It was just like, ah, sh- you know, get a download of Shaq, he shoves this guy out of the way and then dunks in his face or whatever. You're like, all right, well, Yeah, right. I mean, he he's obviously still had a lot of skill
1: and demonstrated a lot. Of, you know, th- I mean, there was some, but it wasn't yeah it, it wasn't
2: as aesthetically pleasing like flashy definitely. aspect of Shaq was kind of gone at that point I mean, He players yeah. here and there but like the, the Orlando stuff was just a guy that was just out there having just the time of his life and just was like yeah sometimes he, I think he surprised himself at how athletic and how just what he could do on the floor yeah yeah
1: and he, he, I think he did have some injuries or fairly early on that so may have slowed him down a little bit and he didn't mm-hmm. always keep himself in the best shape either so um yeah the the i've kind of forgotten the details about this but um there was the um after the 95 finals there was going to be a pay-per-view um shaq was supposed to play one-on-one against Hakeem olajuwon it was called war on the floor um and there's a there's a dime magazine article sort of reminiscing about it and, and i had either never known or forgotten all these details but it was going to. It was sponsored by Taco Bell, which I do remember. There were commercials about it from um, Taco Bell, including one that starred Spike Lee. Um, there, it was going to be at the Taj Mahal Casino in Atlantic City, which is owned by um, Donald Trump. More on him in a moment. Um, the Taco Bell One on One Championship was his other name, um, and uh, it was canceled due to Hakeem's ailing back. Um, and uh, Donald Trump's quote is. Um, uh, Shaq versus Akeem and the Taco Bell one-on-one championship will be the most fabulous event Atlantic city has ever seen. And only the the Trump Taj Mahal could host co- such a mega event. Once again, the entire world will be focused on Atlantic city for what is sure once to be an again. event that will go down in history, which um, he didn't put classy in there, but you know, other than that, it's a, it's a, you <laughs> once know, again fairly good Donald Trump quote. Um, how many typical. times was Atlantic city the center of the universe? Or well, the, well, the center of the entire world. Yeah. I mean, WrestleMania is four and five, obviously. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. Um <laughs> the entire world. That, yes, I the love
0: entire world. Well, the I mean that, that, like... that would have
2: been a big deal. I mean, I don't know if the entire world <laughs> like, but it was it was definitely promoted people like in a... Norway are just gathering around their TVs to oh man the Trump Taj Mahal once again.
1: And there were there was even there were gonna be undercard games too. Uh Nick Van Exel who was with the Lakers, was gonna play um Kenny Anderson, and then Joe Smith and Kevin Garnett were going to uh play each other. <laughs> that would um Apparently Kevin Garnett was not old enough to go into the Trump Taj Mahal to see the showgirls. So, um, (laughs) but yeah, there were, there were video promos for me. It was, it was built like a boxing type thing, you know, um, so it's kind of a shame that we didn't get that. Shaq um, must have
2: gotten the idea. He did a lot of WCW in that. Uh, yeah, there you go. Beach '94. Yeah, I mean, he did, uh, did a bunch of stuff. So I think he got the itch. He, he... Sure. So you know Hogan was would, would shoehorn his way in here somehow. Oh, right?
1: that, that would have been, I you know I, I I could definitely see that for sure. Yeah.
2: There's no way there there's gonna be money made anywhere in the pay per view business in the '90s <laughs> And Hulk Hogan not find a way to uh, shoehorn his way in as, there somehow. He in
1: the corner or, or you know be the ref or something. You know, could, yeah I, he would have found some way somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Uh, so anything else about uh anything else about
2: Shaq or about uh this that stands out to you not really I, I think uh, like I said just sort of if, if you either have because we have a lot of listeners that I know that are, are very like 2000 centric or you know maybe just picked up the NBA uh in prior years you've seen little clips here and there but if you can just really watch like a full game of of, of Orlando era Shaq especially like his first few years I think you'll be amazed at just what that guy was able to do on the floor it's just spectacular
1: so next run tmc uh tim hardaway mitch richmond and chris mullen together um uh, this by the way um vincenzo massaro at snoring elbow wanted us to um talk about this and the the trio uh, played together in 1990 1991 under don nelson for the warriors they were known for a um fast-paced run and gun style um in fact, in the 1991 season opener, the Warriors beat the Nuggets 162 to 158, which is the highest scoring regulation game in history. Um,. The Nuggets were actually another running gun team during that time, but they played historically terrible defense, like uh, <laughs> amazingly, like barely guard anybody type of defense.
2: Where they like well, what people think that the Suns did with, with Dantoni, even though they actually played okay defense. Like that's the, what the Nuggets were. They were uh, like, nope, we don't care. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean, they were. I think in particular ninety one, they were like one of the worst teams in. Um, or I guess, uh, yeah, the the in ninety one, they were like one of the. Oh, they were only twenty sixty two. They weren't quite that bad in uh, in in 91 so never mind but um still not good um they uh the warriors peaked at 44 and 38 in 1991 they were sixth in offensive uh rating and 23rd in defensive rating so not a good defensive team but um they were the seventh seed and they upset the uh, second seeded spurs in the uh, first round before losing to the uh, lakers in the second round lakers ended up going to the uh, finals that year so um the um so um in the 91 season, Mullen finished eighth in scoring at 25.7. Richmond was 10th at 23.9, and Hardaway was 11th at 22.9. Um, they averaged 72.5 points, and they were the league's highest scoring tr- trio um, in history, uh, the, the, or the second highest in NBA history to Alex English, Kiki Vandeweghe, and Dan Issel in 82 uh, 83. Now, I think there has to be like a minimum, like, all three players had to score at least 20 points because if you consider, like, Wilt Chamberlain's 50... um <laughs> right, that doesn't quite work. Yeah, yeah. It, so I, I checked that. So, so there must be a minimum here of, um, of some kind. But um, anyway, it's an impressive scoring trio. Absolutely. And um, they really captured, you know, the... I mean, Golden State had, like, terrible teams for almost the entire 80s and not much to be excited for. So this was definitely something that sort of... Um, Capture people's imaginations, even though it only lasted a couple of years, it was it, it's it's kind of just remembered I, I, again more for style than for um what they accomplished. But it was definitely, and also something that you know they Richmond was traded after the season for Billy Owens, who ended up not being very good. If they had you know kept Mitch Richmond, um, they would have you know there's potential that they could have kept an interesting team. I mean, all three. uh Well, Hardaway's not a Hall of Famer, but um. Mullen and Richmond is, and Hardaway certainly, you know, a uh, a candidate for the Hall of Fame. So, you know, to have three guys like that, um, it would have been interesting to see if they would
2: have kept it together and been Absolutely. able to do anything with it. I think it's my my biggest takeaway from the whole run TMC era is how short it was yet how vivid in the mind. I mean, people love this team. (laughs) Like people just love bringing it up, love talking about it, love seeing highlights of it. I know when uh, a few years ago they announced that that team was going to be on uh, the NBA 2K game, and people went nuts and do, oh, sweet! I can't wait to play. Like it's just so crazy. And and it was only a few years, and it was very like in the, the grand scheme of the NBA because of their success, it was really insignificant. But for whatever reason, and probably for a good reason, it's it it's still vivid in the mind of, of that duel. And I think that's my biggest uh disappointment, like you mentioned that if Mitch Richmond had just stayed to see what could have happened as Hardway and Richmond sort of evolved their game and as Mullen, you know, continued to be sort of the steady guy. I mean, it just would have been real fun to see what that team could have become because we just we never really got it. And maybe that's the part of 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 what makes it so intriguing to people is that we never saw anything else it was sort of taken away from us before it really had a chance to fail you, you know what I mean like that, that that that's an interesting aspect of them
1: yeah for sure and um yeah that that 91 team um uh oh they didn't they I guess they did not have um Manupo yet uh, on that team so never mind I was gonna say <laughs> Manupo was on that team but he um uh, he might have been he must have been on the 90 team um Yes, he was in the ninety team. So, okay, cool. um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean that that's yeah that's a pretty fun um that's a pretty fun team to uh have uh together um. Uh yeah. Anyway, um, so oh yeah, and Chris Mullen called this period of his career the most fun I had playing basketball in my whole life. So he obviously liked it. Um, so next we have uh, NBA comes to uh, Canada two uh, expansion teams in um. Uh, starting in the 96 season the uh toronto raptors and the vancouver grizzlies yes the the grizzlies be in vancouver which makes more sense uh from a nickname perspective um they played there for six seasons um won only 28 percent of their games which is the lowest percentage for a franchise in nba history presumably a franchise in one city uh never played made the playoffs never produced an all-star and never fully connect with the community this is from an si uh recent si.com uh, uh, profile uh, looking back at the... it's really good if, if you haven't yes. read it yet
2: we'll, well i'll try to actually link it in the show post because i know it, it got written and i didn't hear a bunch of people talk about it but it's really 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 yeah. really good
1: actually there's there are several good ones there there was a good national, which i'm mentioning there's a good national post one both on the grizzlies and the uh raptors there's two of them um on i, I think they're both by eric careen definitely the raptors one was um kind of looking back at there and there was also a good slam online one that talked to uh, mike bibby and um and, and some other guys and so there, there, there was some good stuff all kind of connected to all-star weekend of course it being the 20th anniversary of those uh teams uh starting um and uh, yeah, even though you know Vancouver was um, you know a beautiful place, and and certainly um, people talk a lot highly about it. This at the um, as a city, it never really worked that well for um, you know it wasn't viewed as a great place to um, play um, for players, and just you know, just everything that could have gone wrong kind of went wrong with Florida yeah it's it,
2: a bad team you know free agents hated it i mean that, that's one of the things you get from the slam articles guys are like oh, you know some people enjoyed it but other people were like in the hotel and like where the hell am i like what are we doing and like it's just so it, it, it's, it's kind of far it, it's, yeah obviously yeah it, it's just it, it I, I get it i mean it, i i get why it didn't quite work but you wish that um maybe they had stuck it out a little bit longer i think that's one of the themes of, of of at least this si article is that maybe if they waited a little bit but i see the nba's point as well as it was like all right like it, it was they were bad years and the, the team being as awful as they were and and especially um toronto getting as good as they were at at right around that time when when the grizzlies i mean you have vince carter who sort of Grabbing a lot of the, the 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 fandom and people are going oh well that that's exciting over there and what are we doing like here we're you know we got Sarif Abdul Rahim who's fine and Mike Bibby who are fine but it's not exciting basketball it's okay and yeah, we don't well, win ever. I mean, and they like, never they never really performed well I mean they, right. they had it's some like, young talent but yeah. It wasn't, like, dynamic. Like, even if Vince Carter – and, like, I I truly – I mean, it helps that, of course, that Toronto got that really good. But even if, like, Vince Carter and and Toronto were just, like, okay, that dynamicness of of Vince Carter whatever would have probably helped, you know, the popularity. It would have been fine. I mean, of course we knew it was – there was never any excitement around the Vancouver Grizzlies. Like, from day one of, like, you know, there was just never – any level of excitement, it's like Bryant Reeves and Sharif Abdulrahim, and like you know, fine players, but it's like eh, you don't really like the public doesn't really get them that attached to, it. and it's just, it's just yeah, it's 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 unfortunate that it happened that way. Um, but you know, it sort of happens, and it's 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 a footnote in history, and I, I'm glad that these articles sort of came up because more and more as it as as we go on and as we move on um you're not really going to hear that much about it. i mean like you know what i mean like there's already a lot of people that just sort of don't don't know any history about it don't even realize because it's, it's six years it's nothing you know right exactly and of course you know
1: the, the grizzlies have made their home in memphis and that's worked out very well um so you know so, so so good things for the franchise and they started you know they got they got gasol they got jerry west um as their gm you know they they started once they made the move they started to you know and do a good job of um, building the team and uh, and then rebuilding the team after the Gasol Gasol thing didn't work out, um, but 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 yeah, um, you, you know for uh, for for Toronto the the opening night of the season actually it was one of rare evenings where both Canadian teams uh, won, um, and then basically the the this is from the National uh, Post uh, article this the really the. The a guy who is now the Raptors strength and conditioning coach, Don Lee, who was a Grizzlies Bob boy at the time, said uh, that uh, uh, it was two days later at the Grizzlies home opener. It was um, Chris King's basket the last second to win the game at the buzzer, the home opener. It was phenomenal in there. Uh, it kind of went downhill from there. I can't really think <laughs> of any other so highlights sad. except for that. So That's so sad. <laughs> yes.
2: Um, (laughs) Our whole opener was great, and then I don't remember anything else, and it all sucked after
1: that. And the Slam Online um, article uh, talks about basically the Canadian dollar was 70 cents to the US dollar. So there was a, you know, it was, um, you you know, economic issues for the players who were playing there. Um, Also,. they the year that um the first year where they, they couldn't get a top five in the draft because you basically the expansion teams couldn't get up to a certain point i guess a top five so uh the fifth pick that year was kevin garnett and they selected bryant reeves a big country as the sixth pick sixth pick so you know um that limited them as well if they've been able to kind of draft a star right away that might have changed things even though big country reeves was like theoretically i mean he, he was a really big star in college but he was a pretty big flop in the nba um and then um the things obviously went better for the raptors although their rookie season was not so good um they did win 21 games but they really had like a, a they were a team that c- kind of was lucky to win that many games um and um However, one highlight was they actually did beat the uh, seventy-two in Bulls in the uh, in the Sky Dome where they played the first season. <laughs> I love it, they played in the
2: Sky Dome. Yes. Too. That's the coolest part too.
1: Um, and uh, they, they did. They they grabbed a lead and then they uh, Steve Kerr missed a go-ahead three-pointer in the final moments, and then Jordan grabbed the rebound and spun toward the baseline and um made. Actually made an impossible shot, um, but it came just as, like a, a millisecond after the clock ran out, so it didn't count. But they uh, came very close to blowing the game, but they they won. So only uh, seventy two and ten.
2: <laughs> what's your uh, What's your favorite nineties team that played uh, a few seasons in an arena that was too big for them? The uh, Supersonics in the Tacoma Dome, or. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Raptors and the Sky Dome.
1: Uh, I, I guess I'll have to go with the Raptors on there, but okay. um, I, I always also enjoy the old 80s ones where the Pistons play in... Um... in the Silver Dome. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like yeah. half,
2: like, like, 95% of the arena is, like, sectioned off, and it's, yes. like, like yeah. there's, three. There's like, those two sides that are, like, what's going on? There's, like, a big blue drapery. You're like, what the hell are they doing? Why like, are they in this arena? But yeah. I love it. There you go. The Tacoma Dome one is pretty sweet, too, because it's got a cool roof. That always helps, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. tough to say.
1: I uh, yeah that, that that's a good point. I have to, uh, <laughs> I don't have a good answer for it, but that's um but, but I can't is... you know that wasn't top of mind, but yeah. all right, <laughs> it's fine. I mean, go. all right. There you go. All right, so you you stump me. It's uh <laughs> Uh, so another thing that stands out to me is the, uh, the crazy 1996, uh, free agency. Of course, that is uh best known for when, um, when Shaquille O'Neal moved from the, uh, magic to the Lakers, but there was a lot of stuff that went on during that,
2: uh, during that time. So yeah, it's a, it's a crazy period. I mean, of course it, it starts out in may, uh, magic Johnson retires. Uh, this is again, 1996, of course, this is after his, his little quick little return. He retires again uh june 1996 john calipari hired as new jersey nets head coach and president give him the whole roster give him everything give cal yeah. everything that how'd that go out. again uh real well yeah, yeah he, okay um, yeah he recruited all these really good players and they're all really good yeah and, uh, they won several championships i believe yeah <laughs> that's what i, I think yeah yeah goes another uh goes into the high school kids uh <laughs> kitchens and tells them what he's gonna do and then they sign with the nets i think oh yeah. wait no that's kentucky sorry oh, never mind there you I'm go wrong. sorry well it's right. it's, I, an, it's a different protein <laughs>
1: yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> they're playing they're paid a little bit less but not, well, not yeah. all that much less yeah. but uh I mean, it would be uh, yeah. june 26 an awesome awesome nba draft 1996 nba draft famous for uh the slam cover as well you got kobe bryant steve nash jermaine o'neal Allen iverson ray allen Pedro stojakovic stefan marbury uh ziljuna silgowskis marcus canby Kerry kittle sharif abdulrahim Derek fisher i mean god that's
1: that's good. Yeah, that was a very
2: good class. That was right up there. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, the, when the worst guy on that list is like Kerry Kittles or Sharif Abdulrahim, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. I mean, that's that's a, good that's, good that's, there's four Hall of Famers there. Yeah, exactly, it's, yeah, it's incredible. So, um, maybe Peja, too. I don't know for international, that's possible, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah is maybe, great. maybe, yeah. It took a while, took a little while, sure, it wasn't quite in 1997, but uh, yeah, it took a bit. Uh, and then you have July 4th, 1996, the New York Knicks signed Alan Houston to a seven year, $56 million deal. Remember when that was like a lot of oh, money, man. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, geez. Remember seven year deals, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The good old days. Uh July eleventh. Now it gets real hot and heavy in July. People are nuts in July. Uh you got Los Angeles Lakers deal Vladi Divac, the Charlotte Hornets, for a little known guard named Kobe Bryant out of high school. And Vladi obviously led the Hornets to many, many, many championships. Yeah. After that's,
1: um you know, honestly, I I i assume that was a draft day trade um i mean maybe they must have agreed to it and then actually consummated it for some reason yeah, been, by yeah, then but i thought it was that yeah. too. but um yeah because i my memory is that everyone knew at the draft that that's that was happening mm-hmm. but
2: it might yeah it might have been a thing where yeah. it, it waited. uh either way july 12th the chicago bulls signed michael jordan to a one-year 30.4 million dollar contract that Which is a uh, nice money It yeah, <laughs> was a record around. at the time yeah yeah um the money kept going. Yeah. <laughs> the Miami Heat said, "Oh yeah, well, how about this bad boy?" Uh, then July 14th, the Miami Heat signed Alonzo Mourning to a seven-year, 105 million dollar contract, which I, I believe was the first 100 million dollar contract in NBA history. Because so. Juan Howard was next year, right?
1: Um, I wait. I think he signed it later in the. Uh, he signed it later in the summer. So.
2: Oh okay okay oh no um, I see just, yeah yeah never mind okay I see it coming up a little bit later okay right yeah. right right um july 14th new york knicks trade anthony mason to charlotte for larry johnson so they're kind of getting that little roster together uh july 14th is a busy day the washington bullets send rasheed wallace and mitchell butler to the portland trailblazers for Rod strickland and harvey grant uh, that worked out quite well for the portland trailblazers uh july 15th the atlanta hawks send to uh, signed to Kemi to a five-year 50 million dollar contract so i mean this is a lot of movement yeah. going on that was, the, the, that was one day that we just covered there in the last you know five minutes and
1: that was his first uh that, that was the the hawks only time they've ever signed a premier free agent i believe so well, I, <laughs> I, um it wasn't their own well yeah um i was gonna say joe yeah. johnson but probably not so um no, give, give, give old jj some credit yeah yeah you know it was a good deal yeah good it was a sign and trade but you know good, good enough
2: oh i see i see no, yeah 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 oh. um July eighteenth, the Los Angeles Lakers signed Shaquille O'Neal to a seven-year, one hundred twenty million dollar contract. So it yes. kind of made that Alonzo <laughs> Morning One look. And
1: uh... and and Vlade was uh, trading him, opened up space. They had to make some other trades um, to to uh, open up space. And yeah. the yeah, the Magic had no incumbent advantage. That 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 was something that came later as well. So they didn't. And it, and their offer was less at first. So I think they eventually made an offer that was about
2: the same as the Lakers one. But by, by that time, <laughs> you know, Shaq was ready to go to Los Angeles. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, end of the month, uh, July thirty first is the one we mentioned a little bit here. Uh, the NBA voids Miami's contract with Juan Howard, uh, citing uh, some circumventation uh, yeah, uh, of uh, the salary cap. I that think they, the, uh, I think the first one was salary cap there, yeah, Miami. I think Pass.
1: that I think that one was like ninety eight million or something like that, and then later he signed one with the Bullets for just over a hundred million, something yeah. along those lines.
2: So. That'd have been very very interesting to see uh the the Juwan Howard Alonso morning heat with like those guys making like nearly two hundred million on their own. I uh, I don't know how that was gonna work, but yeah. I like it. Uh, and then August nineteenth, nineteen ninety six, Phoenix Suns trade Charles Barkley and a second round pick for Sam Cassell, Robert Ory, Chucky Brown, and Mark Bryant. Yes. And that was forming the the Houston uh, the let's go for it again with Barkley and then Drexler and Hakeem and and yeah. you know later Scotty Pippen which was an admirable effort but there's just too many too many old guys all at the same time and Didn't and not really enough yeah they they kind of hurt their depth on that trade too yeah, um, oh, yeah. so I mean, I mean, Cassell was a huge Cassell part of Cassell and Ori movie. were big yeah, yeah and and Chuck we Chucky Brown talked was, about that with, yeah. with Adi in our 1995 year in review is that how key those guys were even Chucky e. Brown uh, were key to those championship years yeah those are three you know rotation guys that were just gone there for for. For one guy who was a superstar, but that yeah. is also well, was
1: aging a bit. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. you know, I mean, they they played. I mean, they we're going to talk about a you know they they went pretty far the next season, but it didn't have much, um, you know, much staying power, unfortunately, for mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah, and also, you know, this summer, um reggie miller resigned with the pacers but that wasn't like until september like there was like a big back and forth and he you know um didn't get as much money as he was hoping to get um hakeem it was a free agent resigned with the rockets but you know there were some other big names that you didn't even include here who could have gone to different teams i mean it was just really it just kind of a crazy um uh, uh one of the craziest summers probably the craziest summers of all time by the way um we have um, Kelly Dwyer um, broke all this down very um, well, much more thoroughly than even we did, and, and have other transactions that happened during this. Um, in a um,
2: yeah, there's a lot of like uh, management movement. Yeah, uh, you know, guys taking over. Uh, you know, um, coaches moving. Uh, like different weird assistants. Yeah. and it's it's crazy. It, it, it's just... great. It's a great.
1: Yeah, it, we we'll try to link to it as well. But uh, definitely a great uh, piece uh, at Ball Don't Lie. So so check that out as well. So we just gave you a taste of it. Um, anything else about that summer?
2: One second, I'm reading one thing here on Gary Payton. <laughs> oh, okay, heard overtures from Pat Riley in Miami. God,
1: Bat. Ah, What's that doing here?
2: That's just gonna yes. sign everybody. Like...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Payton did he resigned with the Sonics for a big deals. Well. yeah, <laughs> I, I, I,
2: took, I took a few out that you know, even though yeah, I, did, that was a big I, one, I, one. I just did Pat Riley just have his <laughs> every single guy, hey, John Stockton, hey, come on, come on, yeah, you want to go to Miami. Yeah. He's he's just, like, Stockton oh,
1: resigned I'm too. Yeah, he said a big deal too. Yeah, I, I so. A lot Of guys that that summer for sure, so
2: <laughs> so also the Knicks, uh, the Knicks, uh, trying to get Reggie Miller is always one of my favorite fun stories, oh, right? Yeah. That they that really been. were after Reggie, which is funny, you can't beat them, join them, so. right? Yeah, or so, in that case, you beat them three times and they beat you three times. <laughs> oh, nah, screw it, just go on, yeah. join us, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah, that would have been really weird. That that uh, that's hard I, to imagine. That been I don't know if I would have, I, I, I probably just bleached my mind from that, like, I just can't handle that. Like, Reggie Miller being on the Knicks, like, that's no, no, I can't do that.
1: No, it, it, I mean, yeah? I don't have, you know, players can play wherever they want for whatever reason they want. I, obviously, like on an intellectual level, I'm totally fine with that. But the idea of him going to that team, it, did, it does yeah. seem weird. Like, it just doesn't seem right. You know, I'm sure I've gotten used to it, but still. Um. So the 1997 Western Conference Finals, uh, Michael Watson wanted us to talk about uh, this a little bit. Um. Basically, there were two really cool game winners in this uh, series. It was the... It was the Rockets against the Suns, and um, as we talked about before, Barkley now on the Rockets, and um, I'm sorry, not the Rockets it's Rock and Rockets in Jazz. That, that uh, uh, Rockets and Jazz. The um, uh, so Barkley's on the uh, on the Rockets at this point, um, and uh, Rockets of Eddie Johnson, who was a longtime Sun. So. Um, he hits a, uh, a a game winner at the buzzer to uh, tie the series at two games apiece, and it's a all time great celebration as Johnson uh, runs back down the court and gets mobbed by his teammates. Um, and then um, the uh, and then in Game Six, John Stockton returns the uh, favor to um, makes a makes a big shot to uh, send Utah to the uh, finals for the uh, first time. Um, and this was the really the last real chance for the Rockets as contenders after adding Barkley. They didn't really do much after this. The 98-99 eight ninety nine weren't good for them even after they added Pippen. Um, and this was the first of two finals for the Jazz after a decade plus with the Stockton Malone, and they were they, they could have made a run ninety nine too. They came very close to um, yeah making the uh, playoffs that year. They just were a little bit uh, too old at that point um, in that uh, condensed season to uh, to make that work. But they you know that was kind of the beginning. Obviously, they made two finals in a row and. You know, uh, gave the Bulls a good test. But um, so so a key moment for uh, in the lifespan of both franchises.
2: Yeah, and, and something we always talk about with, uh, with with the Jazz, which is an interesting— um, you know, we, we won't really talk about to them too much in this, but we talked about them in our number two teams of the 90s on the Jazz, that a lot of people really don't realize how close we came to, like, the Jazz being in the NBA Finals a few other years. I mean, of course, uh, the loss in the Western Conference Finals in, in 95-96, which we talked about in our last podcast— uh, or, or a few pie, the, the number two in the, the in the 90s uh 19 um you know 93 94 they lost, again lost in the western conference finals 91 92 they lost in the western conference finals so they're right there a lot of the times and then they sort of it, it 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 took this to be you know these two years are the big ones that we sort of think that they just sort of emerge or kind of came here but it's just not right i mean they were right there right on the cusp so many years you know winning 60 plus games in, in some of these years as well and it's just it's funny how close they really came but never quite could pull it out until this period where at this point I, I you know i'd argue that they were a much better team back then than they were than here but of course you know the success lies here so everybody sort of remembers these teams and and, and these jazz which i did want to ask you again a little uh, question off the top um rockets jazz 1997 is that the worst matchup of jerseys ever Ooh, in a playoff series um those are her- i mean remember our our
1: I know. I, I think there was a Sonics Rockets series with the bad uni- uniforms okay. as well. So I think that's worse. But Okay. That, that's it's close. Fair, yeah. It's close. Yeah. The Jazz from uh, from 89 through um, 2001, they won uh, at least 53 games every year, except for 93 when they won 47, and then the lockout year. But they prorated it, and they would have won 50 games again. So. Um, so that's, that's a pretty, um, actually they they would have won close to 60 games that year. So, um, so that's a pretty impressive run that not quite the, uh, you know, the, the Spurs, um, run of greatness, but that's, you know, um, and even in, you know, in the years before that, um, they were, you know, starting in 88, they were a pretty strong, um, you know playoff contender type team you know so they they had a real good run you know pretty much coincided you know coinciding with Dr. Malone they had a couple of years where they were kind of carried by the guys and Dr. Malone were just kind of along for the ride but um I mean that, that's a real good um run for the for for the decade and even you know a little before that a little bit after that absolutely um so uh all right so we, we have to talk about it i i've been trying to avoid it but we have to talk about it uh the uh there's a there's a famous player named michael jordan who uh played for the chicago bulls
2: in the number 45 90s. you remember of course is number 45
1: so. oh, yeah, number 45 yeah and um <laughs> You know, I, I guess he did some stuff in the in the '90s. I guess we have to talk about
2: it. Um, yeah, Rich, The we- reason we and, and <laughs> the reason we want to do it is like you've heard every Jordan story. There's many podcasts they do. We like sort of exploring new things, new stuff that you haven't heard of. But eh, we can't do this show without talking about Michael Jordan. So yeah, we'll talk about it. Some people brought us some some pretty fun memories uh, of Jordan as well. Uh, Jason Palumbo, which is uh, at Double Dribble W P. Um, He wanted us to talk about the famous exchange between Michael Jordan and Xavier McDaniel. That was the Eastern Conference Game 7 in 1992, and it's a very interesting one. Uh, I'm going to read from uh, Chicago Tribune's Sam Smith here, who sort of recounts uh, this moment, this was a series of pieces about Michael Jordan's career. I believe when he was going into the Hall of Fame, if I remember correctly. Um, his, the, the moment came, which uh, is under three minutes left in the first quarter. Pippen blocked McDaniel's shot. There was some pushing and shoving, and then Jordan intervened. He put his forehead against X Man's skull. That was a, the, the greatest nickname ever, by the way, for uh, Xavier McDaniel. Uh, the X Man's skull, the two of them pushing skull on skull for a few seconds before the referees broke it up. Each man received a technical file. That's when Jordan stared into uh, X-Man's eyes and said what was on his mind. It wasn't about marketing, although Michael Jordan was a slick marketer. It wasn't about false modesty or talking about getting others involved in the offense or any other of the pretty things he'd tell reporters after the game, playing the role of team leader and star. This was the man on the court refusing to get in, standing there, locking eyes with an opponent he was about to destroy bleep you baby jordan told x-man bleep you and the bleep is uh it starts with f uh yeah. if you're curious which is the best part of when you see the highlights of it the camera zooms in and it's just so vivid that he's saying that <laughs> few uh which is pretty good but it was it was a big moment for the bulls i mean this was um you know jordan standing in for pippen a little bit there uh pippen had been you know sort of bullied a lot of the, those games as well by the knicks so you get jordan that kind of comes in here and it seemed like they just had a harder edge uh for the most part after that and it was a big moment people re- regard that as one of the big moments of this team uh but you know there's of course the the pistons you know finally vanquishing the pistons is a big moment uh, for them as well of trying to maturing but another step in the in the in the the maturing process of that bulls team and you know sort of michael jordan turning into just a really really dominant uh team that we saw of course throughout the 90s but it's a it's a very fun moment and i'm uh, i'm glad jason uh wanted us to talk about it cuz it's one that doesn't get covered too much. Or yeah, about
1: there that you much, go. So. That, 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 that is a, uh, a little bit of an unrecovered one, so I'm, I'm glad
2: we brought this up. Uh, and then Andrew Brackis. I believe it's Brackis, right?
1: I, I, I Bacchus, I'm going to go believe. with Brackis. Your yeah. last
2: name is Brackis, Andrew, unless you tell us yeah. <laughs> otherwise. So. I, I think it's there's no R, so Bacchus. Oh Bacchus. Why did I say Bracius? Oh, that's the wrestler.
1: Yeah, yeah there's a wrestler. <laughs> nobody hope, knows. I nobody, hope
2: nobody knows. I, I want one. This. I want if anybody knows who Bracius is without looking it up. If you look it up, I'm yeah. going to know if you look it up too. That's the thing. Uh there'll be a few people. If you know who Bracius is, please let us know over and back uh yeah. over and back NBA. Yeah. Uh, on Twitter if, if you if when I said Bracius you th- immediately thought NBA are, uh <laughs> failed WWE uh, Musclehead then you are uh, yeah. you were well, you're giving away too much now, I think, but That's about all you need to know. All right. I'm hoping somebody paused. I'm hoping somebody's paused and went right away to it, but we'll see. But uh, no one's going to do it. If you do it, the first person who does it will give you a prize. (laughs) Exactly. I don't know what it is. Uh, We'll figure it out. A Brackus comp DVD, if I can find it. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yeah. Uh, So, Andrew Brackus uh, says the final 30 seconds of game six of the NBA Finals. Of course, everybody knows this moment. I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a recap here uh, because there's a lot of stuff in there. People kind of know the Jordan shot, but there was a lot that went into it. Like the last 50 seconds, last minute of that game is just insane. It's it's a crazy, crazy moment. A lot of people know this is, of course, Michael Jordan's probably going to be his last game. Uh, the last year of the Bulls, uh, you know, dynasty. Like there was a lot of uh, rumblings of Jackson wasn't going to be back, Rodman wasn't going to be back, Pippen wasn't going to be. Everybody kind of knew that this was it. This was all that they really had. And the Jazz were looking at their mortality and going, "Hey, look, we're getting older. You know, this is the best team we've had, <laughs> you know. Yet we're we're pushing this team to its absolute limit. You know, this this could be a time." And and that Bulls team too. I mean, people sort of forget that that was a it was a good Bulls team, but you could sort of tell that that was maybe going to be the end of the road. They were they were starting to get a little old, and they were starting to not be quite as dominant as they were. Uh, in years prior. So there was a lot on hand in this one minute of the game. Um, so you got 43.3 seconds left. Uh, it's a really, really cool play. So uh, Stockton, you know, puts an entry pass into to Malone. Malone gets doubled. Uh, he, Rodman's, of course, guarding him. Pippen comes over and, and doubles him. I believe it's Antoine Carr, but I couldn't confirm, but I, I almost positive it was Antoine Carr. He smartly cuts right into the middle of the lane, which then allows Ron Harper to sort of sag off and try to, oh, I'm going to help out on Antoine Carr. Malone beautifully, beautifully, beautifully uh, throws it out to Stockton, who's just wide open for three. Stockton had cut baseline after the entry pass. And then Ron Harper realizing, oh, crap, I left John Stockton open for three. Runs as fast as he, as Ron Harper can possibly run at Stockton. But it doesn't matter. Stockton hits it in his face. 43.3 seconds. So you got Stockton there hitting that three. Um, then the next play, which is, is a really interesting one as well. Uh, the Bulls get it at half court. Of course, they call a timeout. Uh, Jordan gets an inbound pass and within four seconds just drives by Byron Russell and scores, which is just demoralizing because it's like, man, we needed a perfect play to get this three. And Jordan just gets the ball and goes in four seconds and they score in four seconds, which is just hurts a lot. Um, and then the famous final play, uh Malone uh, gets the ball again. Very, very similar play to the one prior with Stockton. Uh, but Stockton doesn't drive. He kind of sits out by the three-point line right where Malone got doubled uh Hornacek sort of falls back to the three hoping that you know maybe his man's gonna leave him and Hornacek will be open for three well his man does leave him but unfortunately it's Michael Jordan who sweeps from the baseline uh and knocks it out of Malone's hands uh and then I think one of the interesting parts of this play and I guess it it, it makes sense and and I, I see of course why they did this but Malone falls to the floor uh, Jordan gets the ball, but he slows it down. He's almost waits for Malone to get up where you would sort of assume, Hey, Carl Malone's on the ground. Let's go, 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 go. Let's see what we can do. But of course this era of basketball and it being Michael Jordan and sort of the idea that, Hey, let's get this last shot here. Uh, Jordan slows down. um, And of course, everybody's seen the last second play, you know, Russell comes up fronts, Jordan, Jordan drives, right. Then a split second stops cuts left. He has a nice little push <laughs> to Russell's hip and then he nails the iconic shot in his face. And uh, the real good call from Bob Costas as well that, you know, that's, that's going to probably be the final moment of Michael Jordan's career and what a moment. And then of course uh, they go and they win it. Um, You know, the clock runs out and that's their victory. So uh, just, just an incredible, you know, final 30 seconds. And honestly, the last, the final minute is incredible as well. And something that's worth watching. There are, um, there are videos on YouTube if you want to watch the whole game. It is up there as well, but just a really there's just a lot in that game and just a lot of storylines and a lot of stuff, you know, in that in that last minute. It's very voluminous.
1: Yeah. Well, six championships in that year. That's a pretty big moment. Um and you know, what we what we thought was going to be the end of Jordan's career. Of course, he made another comeback, but still a, you know, his final moment in a Bulls uniform certainly um Uh, you know uh, obviously um tremendously epic um big deal you know i i like to i like to make fun of michael jordan or, or like the kind of the hysteria around michael jordan but obviously he was important so fine i guess we can i guess i'm glad we talked about him hope people are happy there made us talk
2: about Michael yeah, we Jordan. We really could do the show without talking a little bit about it, but you yeah, know.
1: well, that, that, that's fair. I,
2: I um, you know, the what the people want is more important than what, what I want, so <laughs> exactly. I cover the numbers, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, the big thing we always have is like everybody knows every Jordan story you've read. I mean, sure. it, there's so many books written, about I mean, there's nothing to uncover, there's nothing different. Like, I was doing research for this part, and there's nothing I mean, no, you know, everything about Jordan. If you've watched the NBA, you know something about it. everybody knows everything about Michael Jordan.
1: There's yeah,
0: well, I,
2: I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's so. still stuff to unlock, but but it's um. Um,
1: but but there are other things that i would rather dive into before we would dive into michael jordan deeply yeah right so, exactly you know, which there, is, there's, yeah. there's
2: so much nba history yes. that, that's undercovered and underdeveloped and under researched and all that sort of stuff michael jordan is is not one of those not so much for no. better or for worse he is yes. certainly not one of those exactly nor is that bulls team that bulls team is no. uh they were well they were well covered in their day. <laughs> they were yes they did get some attention yes all right rich anything else i think that's it um I think in general, if you haven't been checking out uh, Heart Road Paroxysm's uh, 90s week, has just been incredible. There's been so many good articles out there. I know uh, somebody wrote uh, earlier this week about David Robinson, which is a, really, a topic that we really love and, and we've really championed for a while. Was, that guy was really good, uh, and that Spurs team with him as the leader was really, really good. Of course, Duncan Cumming changed them to a, you know, a, a true championship trajectory, but that team was right there many, many years and was a really, really fabulous team. So that was a really great article. Um there's just been a lot of really good stuff. I mean I think the Hard Praxis and everybody has just been doing a great job. So uh of course you listen to this podcast so you know about our 90s week contributions but if not go to hardworks uh uh and check out all the other 90s week all the written content that's been going out there as well. It's just a a wealth of really really great stuff there and it's a really great era to cover and I think they've done a great job at, even the writers um have done a fantastic job of of covering stuff that you wouldn't get anywhere else. Like, you know, we're not getting 16 articles about Michael Jordan or whatever. It, it's the weird stuff. It, it's it's odd developments. And that that's the cool thing. That's that's Harvard Paroxysm to a T, and that's something that we love, too. It's just people are going and finding the strange of the 90s <laughs> instead of just uh, simply, you know, what everybody knows or what everybody sort of talks about and what the popular stuff is. They're kind of getting into so, some meat and potato stuff. And I have, a, I have a piece about Glenn Rice that should be going up. Uh, by the time most of you guys listen to us too, because Glenn Rice is really good, too, and nobody gets enough credit. So yeah. I think that's been kind of the theme of the 90s week, is, hey, what what does nobody give enough credit to in the
1: 90s? Yeah, or, yeah what, what don't we talk about anymore that it's nice to talk about? So, um, yeah, great stuff. Very well said. And um, thanks, everyone, for checking us out. We greatly appreciate... Uh, we a lot of a lot of great feedback as we mentioned on people who are interested in contributing to the show. So that's uh, really appreciated. We've gotten some nice feedback about the uh, work that we've done. We definitely uh, uh, thrive on that. Uh, it keeps us going uh, when we're uh, you know um, burdened by uh, having to do research that sometimes can be um, work, even though it's fun stuff that we like to uh, look into. Um, so thanks for that if you want to uh, help us out you could leave us a, a rating and a review on itunes we are also on stitcher where you could leave us a rating and review either either way would be uh, terrific and uh, you can find us on twitter and facebook both of them at over and back nba so uh, thanks again for listening and we're we'll back again soon